This morning's Old Testament reading is found in Proverbs chapter 2. It's on page 584 in your pew Bible. My son, if you, accept my, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left, her part, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her path to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the just and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Well, first of all, thank you, Diane and Beverly. That was beautiful. There aren't very many adults who've kept up their instrumental skills at that level. You know, I played the saxophone in band at fifth grade. Um, I could empty this place pretty quick if I attempted to revive that. Uh, and uh, Diane has done a beautiful job. Thank you. And uh, good to see you all. I think we're doing a little better with our timeliness project. Um, it's going to be a week-to-week battle, at least for me. Uh, there was a, a drop-dead point. I ran out the house this morning, got in the car, and uh, made it to pick up my ride. And uh, Brett turned to me and said, you did it! <laughs> so these are good things. I should mention that uh, there are a couple of our books left over if you have uh, a father who just wasn't able to be with us today and uh, you want to take something to him, there will be a few copies left up here on the front, front pew for you. Um, well, you've heard the text today. Our texts all speak to things that are interconnected in such a way that it's very difficult to parse them and pull them apart. You don't have fatherhood without motherhood. You don't have motherhood without fatherhood. And without children, those terms are empty and meaningless as well. There's a connectedness that goes to all of this and and an honoring that needs to be present in all of that that's vital. And there's the layer that we put on top of it that some would say is very anthropomorphic, and indeed it is, but we describe God in terms of human and human family. He gives himself and presents himself to us many times in that form. 
So when we describe God, one of the ways we describe him in terms that we can understand is as his divine parent. There are uh, a few feminine metaphors for God, but there are a number of references to God as father as well. And for good reason. As I think I've said at various points in past sermons on this topic, the intention must be understood as all good. As an earthly father, I know I've failed my son from time to time, failures of uh, temper, failures of advice, failures of perspective, failures to listen, failures to appreciate, failures to see. Uh, I've, I've been a human parent with all of the failings that go with that. I, doesn't mean I don't stop trying. Doesn't mean I don't continue working at being the father God calls me to be. But understanding that human fathers have their failings and that some of our father's failings or uh, defects of character are, are enormous indeed and have cost us a great deal, the ideal of scripture in putting forth God as father is an entirely positive one. The ideal is to say, here is someone who beget us, who, who gave us life, as it were, in this um, relational process, father-motherhood, and in life, empowered and blessed and loved and taught and nurtured and cared for and provided for. This would be the ideal uh, sort of reference. So um, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm. I like to uh, look at those passages that, that speak to the things... Uh, we're talking of, and that's why I key them all this way. Oh, and while I'm thinking about it and looking at my bulletin, I do apologize for the opening hymn. How many of you really sailed through that one? I got to confess, I don't think I've struggled that hard to sing a hymn in ages. I'm pretty good at it. Um, so next time we do something like this, we'll call you here early, maybe 8.30 and have a couple hours of rehearsal for this. And... Uh, We'll be able to rock it. What do you think? You there? It's a great hymn. Beautiful, good words, theme to Father's Day. It's perfect. And none of us could sing it. So we stood there like fools for five verses and let the organ lead us on. Anyway, it's, uh, my apologies. We'll, uh, we'll sort these things out. Psalm 103. We read a big passage but it describes fatherhood. And I think we need to just punctuate these positive qualities that we attribute to the Lord and that we as heavenly parents, fathers and mothers, would like to have ourselves. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. I think uh, we're going to shortly read a uh, passage in the King James goes something like as a father pitieth his children so I pity you that pity word doesn't have a very positive meaning in, meaning in contemporary English but it's this this word the Lord is compassionate he feels for us you know we talk a lot about Christ as high priest have you heard that language we have an advocate with the father and so forth this is a big part of our theology familiar or are we all in a coma 
I got some more teaching to do, I can see. We'll revitalize that sermon series from Hebrews from a couple years ago. We talk about Christ as an advocate of the Father, as our high priest, and so forth. And one of the telling parts of that scripture that we read is that we have someone who is like us, who knows our weakness and our frailties. Do you remember that passage? He is compassionate. You see, he knows what we're made of, that we are dust. He knows our weakness and our frailties. And you know, I, confessionally, I know my father made this mistake. I know I make this mistake sometimes. I forget that I am dust, my child is dust, that he's going to make the kinds of mistakes that people make. I don't always have the compassion for the inherent weakness that goes into being part of this thing we call humankind. Jesus walked among us and developed that compassion. He knows our infirmities, our frailties. He came to be with us, like us, one of us, to experience this so that nobody could say, but you don't understand, you don't know what it's like. He's slow to anger. That's always a good quality in anybody, single, married, or otherwise. Abounding in love. God is love, my brothers and sisters. Anyone who loves knows God and is born of God. The person that doesn't love doesn't know God. For God is love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Heavenly parents and earthly ones alike get angered and annoyed at times. We as children exercise that power. And yet God promises that he'll forget his anger. He'll put it away. He won't treat us as we deserve, nor be vengeful toward us with regard to our sin, our iniquities. We would hope that as parents we bring the same level of humanity and grace to our parenting. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. There's a saying in the Korean language. The dialogue goes something like this. I love you. Really? Yes, I love you. How much? I love you as high as the heavens. And this is taken perhaps straight from this psalm or is something similar in that ancient culture, something that is understood. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, this is the greatness of his love. It's boundless. As far as from the east is from the rest, west, so far as he removed our transgressions, those things that are barriers, those things that get in the way of expression of that love and the relationship that goes with it. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That is that text that I just quoted in the King James Version. As a father pitieth his children. He knows how we're formed. He remembers we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows, it's over, and it's gone. And in its place, and its places remembers it no more. 
But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. My grandfather, father has already, already gone to dust. My father's in his mid-70s, being older by the second. I take little consolation in the fact that so are you. My own child has entered adulthood. And before I can blink, isn't it so? Grandchildren? And then you're celebrating their birthdays. We're like chaff. We're like a flower that blooms and then just withers and nobody knows where it was. Our days are not that long. But from generation to generation... This goes on, and the Lord loves us through it all. He's with us in it all. He cares for us in it all. He pities us in it all. That is to say, has great compassion on us. And because he is forever and from everlasting to everlasting, and because of his promises to make all things new, we will be made new in him. Our lot will be to be with him in everlasting to everlasting. We are a permanent part of the collection of the thoughts and memories of God. To the degree that he knows us with such completeness, he can remake us, and we can trust him to do so. And so these are th some things that the psalmist brings to us in terms of the passage, in terms of uh, what God is, is like. In Luke 11, we get another bit of that flavor. Luke 11 takes us more to the specifics of what parenting might look like. What good fatherhood might look like. And how to relate to God as our father. I think we get this idea that somehow he's going to be more reticent to bless us and give us good gifts than our earthly fathers are. And the Bible teaches differently. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. We've learned that text. We've heard that text dozens if not hundreds of times. We claim that text when we go to pray. And then 11 is what we usually stop at. And if you listen to that part, it says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, I haven't done a lot of research on the word, but I suspect snake is not innocuous in this setting. There are people who eat snakes. But I think in this setting, the idea is that the snake would bring great harm. If you then, though you are evil, though your fundamental disposition is to rebellion, though you are estranged in your state of having not accepted the grace shown you, if you are evil, yet still know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him and the gifts that go with the Holy Spirit and the fruits that go with the Holy Spirit? 
That's a powerful set of promises. We talked last week, I think, about 25 different spiritual gifts. I read the list. And there are multiple fruits that follow that as well. Who doesn't want to experience joy or peace, goodness or gentleness or kindness, patience? Who doesn't want to experience these things in their lives? All we got to do is ask. Ask and it will be given. You seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It doesn't apply to Ferraris and Bentleys. It doesn't apply to a prosperity gospel. It doesn't apply to something you're not willing to invest yourself in or receive. But it does apply to this incredible gift, this openness of God who wants to share every good thing with us, himself included and bring us a quality of life. If I were to summarize this entire summer that I want to talk about, that I hope uh, will be particularly meaningful to our youth, it's this quality of life, this meaning of life. What is life about? How is it that we come to some kind of real, true quality of life? How do we find meaning and purpose in all of that? What is it about? And it all comes out of these qualities, of grace and freedom that Christ brings. So we're going to talk a lot about that because a good father, the essence of good parenting is to establish character in a child that will carry them through life's vicissitudes and challenges. It's to equip them and teach them how to survive with skills and with social skills, how to learn and the tools of learning and to give them access to ways in which they can expand their horizons, their minds, and therefore their opportunities. Our job as parents is to teach them the foundation of the meaning of life, that purpose that we all have in Christ, in God, that identity we find in his creation, in his redemption. Our purpose as parents is to equip them and bless them and gift them and send them. Eventually, the idea is, as sad as it may be for a day, two, week, month, I don't know, you may be more sentimental than I am, the empty nest. That is truly the goal. Right? We got to couple of little birds being raised on our, near our house. And I guarantee you, the mom and dad are as attentive can be, love to get those insects, love feeding those chicks. And I can tell you one day they're going to look at each other and say, glad that's over with. <laughs> By the end of summer, they're going to be tired and they want those chicks to fly. Go have their own eggs, go sit on their own nests, and go collect insects for their own babies. You're laughing because you know it's true. And then we want to be able to take our grandchildren and spoil them rotten and hand them back and say, here, it's your problem. Good luck with that. We love you. Right? God wants to do these things for us. He has it right here. He, he states exactly what, what it is that he, he would desire. He would desire to bless us to love us, to gift us. He would 
instill in us wisdom and knowledge and teaching. That's probably where our Proverbs text becomes so useful. Take a moment to uh, look at that. Proverbs chapter 2 I had read in its entirety, but there's a passage in chapter 1 that I would like to, or 3 rather, that I would like to look at right now too. I'm going to read 3, 11 to 13. This is on discipline and teaching. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. What is a rebuke? Yeah, correction. Yeah, so it's a way of, uh, uh, usually verbal. Um, but don't despise his discipline or his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he what? Delights in. Good parenting, loving parenting, caring parenting means setting boundaries. And it means expressing our concern, displeasure, whatever it is when those boundaries are crossed, whether it be in a rebuke or some form of other discipline. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. And that's saying a lot in today's market. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is right-handed, her left-handed riches and honor. Her ways are... Her, her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who embrace her and to lay hold of her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. That's a lot. Don't despise discipline or the rebuke. It means our Father in heaven delights in us, longs for us to gain understanding, to find wisdom. And here then the, the, the author of Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman. Holy wisdom, Hagia Sophia, yes. And she is more valuable and precious than anything else we might attain. Wisdom is this extremely valuable commodity in Scripture that helps us to follow, discern, know, and grow in the right ways. The passage that we read earlier was in Proverbs 2. And we read the entire thing, and I'm not going to take time to do that. But if you listened, it said, Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding and calling out for insight and crying aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of the Lord. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Discipline, rebuking, wisdom, knowledge, encouragement, understanding. These are things the Lord seeks to give us out of his great love for us, out of his care for us, out of his generosity for us. He gives us the good gifts. He wants us to have every good thing. Proverbs 1.8 talks about wisdom and teaching. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. 
They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. This idea of God teaching us how to live life modeled after or the heavenly uh, parent modeling for us what the earthly parent does. Teaching and giving wisdom and grace and life. Our parents are about blessing us. It's one of the great things fathers in the Old Testament could do was bless their children. They bless them, of course, in all of life's work and instruction. But as the Father blesses us spiritually with every good gift and every good thing, so earthly fathers blessed. You might remember the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis 27. A birthright blessing was to go to Esau, but through deceit and through a plan and a scheme, Jacob ended up receiving his father's blessing and once given could not be taken back. The blessing implies the conveyance of everything material and everything spiritual and everything that goes in an identity and a name. It implies conveyance of a priesthood from father to oldest son for generations. Others are not left out in the cold in this, but the blessing is from generation to generation. We read in scripture of curses that last from generation to generation, but a father's blessing is meant to go on forever. And we know that the better we can, better a job we as earthly fathers can do in overcoming the challenges of our own upbringing and the ways in which our fathers failed us, the better a job we can do at overcoming that, the better chance we have of passing on a legacy to our children that will yield health and blessing and grace and peace and understanding and hope in generations to come. Well, suffice it to say, God longs for us every good thing. He desires, as Christ said it so succinctly in his coming, to give us life and life more abundantly, to bless us, to encourage us, to gift us, to express his love for us and wisdom and teaching and the provisions of life, to grace us with every good gift, May that model of fatherhood sustain us all, whether we're fathers, mothers, or children, and lead us to a new and deeper relationship with the God who calls us all his children. Let us give to the Lord as he has so generously given to us. The ushers will wait on us now for the offering.